Welcome to the Digital Dudes Podcast. I'm David. I'm Reed. You know, I actually listened to one of our episodes. The oh intro. Uh, it, it was the uh, it was Chelsea's because it somehow it got recommended to me on YouTube, and mm-hmm. I was like, "All right, I'll give this a few." And <laughs> that that made me nervous saying Digital Dudes now, like I was gonna flub it up like I did on Chelsea's. Yeah. Well, but, good for you. I, I still you. can't remember the last one that I listened to. <laughs> Yeah, well, you stopped Shamefully. listening when your when your girls heard you curse in the car. Yeah, I don't know if that's the second time you called me out on that, but uh, yeah, Daddy used the S word, and um, from that point forward, I was like, "Kids in the car can't put on the dudes." Yeah, yeah, because we don't know what Daddy might have said. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> I actually th- this episode we have Mike Walling, no Whaling, ha, Mike Whaling on from uh, Thirty Lines founder, and he's been doing it for fifteen years, and we've known Mike. Well, you tell a little bit of the story, I think. Do you? Well, you yeah. I mean, you've had a, a lot more exposure. You, as you said, shared a couple of panels with him. Um, great guy. But yeah, my first exposure, and I think yours, uh, was at TechCon in like 2018 or something. I mean, we, we couldn't have been around more than a year. Um, and he was speaking about the customer experience, which he still passionately speaks to and does on this podcast. Um, but it was funny. Yeah, I... I bumped into him in the buffet line and I think he was distract distracted with hunger pangs. And so was I. Um, but, uh, yeah, we just ex- exchanged pleasantries and that was that. And then, uh, for me, it's, it's been kind of a four year gap. So quite a bit has happened since then, but yeah, you, you've gotten a chance to develop a bit of a relationship with him and just a great guy, you know, great perspective on things, super well respected in the industry and uh, a lot of hot takes, which I know you love. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I'd say I want to give Janet, from Minneapolis, a lot of uh, credit with uh, with Cadence because she has so many different roundtables. I mean, I still don't know of a better networking group in the industry and anywhere in the country than what Janet's helped pull together. But um, we've been on a number of things together, so we've been able to stay in touch over the last number of years. But I think it's really interesting because similar to us, boot, bootstrapped company um, that uh, has gone from service uh, from the services side into launching a tech, but continuing to run services is grappling with, I see so many, pro- he sees so many problems to, that are broken that he thinks he can fix, but how do you then, you know, channel your focus? Like which of those, you know, ideas do you, do you put, put the effort into right now? And then it seems like he's very conscious that I didn't drill him too much on that, but about not getting too big of a team size. So um, I think he mentions he's like 25 people today. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that's not because he couldn't grow. It just be, seems more deliberate about let's not, Let's not get out of control, which we've had conversations a lot about it. How many, how many bodies do you really want? Yeah, but he also did say, and I thought that was interesting that they dabble. Uh, I don't know that those were his words versus mine, but on uh, some out of category stuff. So retail restaurants, et cetera. And, you know, we asked if he, you know, w- was trying to keep the ratio as is. And he was like, no, if we like the people right. and it makes sense, then we bring them on. So I, I would guess that some of, uh, his numbers are just like ours are economics. Yeah. If you're bootstrapped, you're just not in a position to to pursue all those products all at once. And that's hard for us. I'm sure it's hard for him sometimes. What would have been interesting, especially for, I think, both of us, but for you in particular, would be to hear how they do go the, through the, the process of, of product development. Um, given that he's got five-year deep, you know, roadmap, it's like, well, how are you determined? Are you using the... Uh, Fibonacci, what the hell? Fibonacci, Fibonacci, that <laughs> scoring that, that Victor's brought to digital, because we're still trying ourselves to figure that out. 
it's tough because um, a lot of times products take a little time to really know whether you're onto something or not, right? Um, it doesn't yeah, always happen in six shake. weeks. Exactly. Um, so even harder for a bootstrap company. Well, for Mike, if he goes back and listens to the episode, unlike, unlike us, quick advice. If you don't pay yourself a salary, you can hire more people. So just a little trick we learned <laughs> early on here at Digital. Uh, well, 15 years in, he wouldn't want to hear yeah. that. <laughs> Wait a second, huh? Uh, it might change the family dynamic a bit. Um uh, well, one thing he brought up that I didn't uh, just want to get your quick take on because we didn't we're not doing a separate news episode or anything. But did you see that Netflix is in rumor to buy Roku? Um, I hope you'll trust me when I say I I think I did read that. Okay. <laughs> I'll uh, trust there, you on that. There's been a few uh, of there's some, and I don't know if that was it. There's some other uh, pretty big rumor I heard with uh, one of the members of Fang, and I don't know. Maybe it was Netflix. So yeah. Yeah. Well, they had to really shut down. It basically leaked internally. Someone from Roku said, hey, Netflix is poking poking around. Or, um, and so they all had to shut up pretty quickly. Um, but I thought that was interesting because he brought up the basically the uh, un- the bundling and then unbundling of cable. And then now how, you know, he didn't quite go that far, but then how it may rebundle again. And um, yeah, I, uh, I just thought, well, I, I'll go on an aside. This weekend, I did call my dad for Father's Day. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm watching that new show, The Old Man. Have you heard of this with Jeff Bridges? Uh, I've seen previews. Yeah. I haven't read yet. It looks well shot. Uh, and I was like, oh, do you guys have Hulu? Or Because I was like, they never do streaming there. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm just, you know, I, you know, watching it on the satellite or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> so how'd you hear about it? He's like, well, you know, commercials or whatever. And I was like, this is so such a different world because it almost flew by my radar because we don't have cable. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, we have to go to Hulu to watch The Old Man, but someone else had recommended it to me. And that's why you started here, the like spreadsheet that like of recommended shows from other employees at Digital. So it's just funny how like, how did you actually find that? Oh, because I actually watch television versus right. that don't. And so someone's right. going to tell me. Well, his comment there, uh, which I also didn't, it wasn't about latching onto or not, but I was trying to let him finish his thought. But that reminds me so much of our conversations about display and how it could come full circle, mm. meaning mm-hmm. where you have these media by like conglomerates. Um, and a lot of that's geared towards local traffic, but just the big websites, you know, getting a lot of the digital display dollars and then got completely blown up by programmatic. And now with um, all the regulation, privacy, cookies and all that, that they could eventually come back to to where we were 10 years ago. Very similar to what he's talking about with TV and streaming. Mm-hmm. It's like now people are going to be buying audience again, but uh, through brands, through through publishers. Or it's like, in our case, in our backyard, well, the Denver Post, you know, fits, fits this audience. Mm-hmm. And I'm no longer either capable or finding, you know, the impact uh, through programmatic that I was. Over the last decade. Well, there's a couple things that I wanted to hit on there. One was Netflix and Roku. Like, it makes sense. I mean, five years ago, uh, you know, Reed. I always get it wrong. Not Hoffman. Hastings. Hastings. Yeah, they're both Reed H. Uh, anyways, Reed Hastings. Reed said, Dobie is the only one that counts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reed Whaling? Is that the one you're talking about? Walling. Oh, okay. Well, uh, he had said that they weren't ever going to like make their own streaming device. But at the time, his quote was that they had a thousand, you know, devices they already connected to. Uh, and that makes sense because you don't want to you know, tick off the marketplace. But now when you see all this competition of like HBO and, and Peacock and Hulu, or Disney, like all of that getting, you know, fractional 
now all of a sudden you're like, oh shoot, I may need to actually, how do I differentiate myself? Because uh, I can't, how am I going to re- remain the highest valued one when Disney has these this actual IP mm-hmm. and you've got to build your IP from scratch. So, um, But one of the things was Roku is starting to also make its own content, which God, I can't even imagine like trying to go to another place to try to get more content for myself. Two, Roku has started selling ads. So they have their own in-house ads team and run ads just like whatever the crackle or, or whatever to, to monetize some of this content. So basically, it could be really interesting to see what Netflix ends up doing there, like, you know, buying an ad department, if you will, and then uh, deciding to do they start offering, particularly in other countries, like a, a, a free a free model uh, or, you know, is it like sort of they outsource some of the content like one year in Ozark will appear on the Roku, whatever, free for stream with with ads um, uh, could just be a really interesting shakeup. Yeah, no doubt. But you mentioned people buying an audience. One thing that also has, uh, struck me recently is I don't know how much of the younger generation actually gets becomes all aware all at once of something unless it's a movie now. Like, oh, Top Gun Maverick's coming out or Jurassic Park. And movies, I guess, still ha- do that somehow. And, and I think it's because they have enough PR to like hit all of the different, I guess, like influencers. But I was just thinking about how targeted ads are becoming and how, how much more targeted they can continue to become. Um, and even though there's some of that being stripped away for privacy reasons. Yeah, but, I was going to say, not in our industry. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it just it's almost like it, it, it was possible to target even more specifically before, but it's too hard to do. Now, it's easier to do, but you can't for legal reasons. Um, but where I'm going is like back in the day, like you and I would have both heard about heard about ShamWow and OxyClean at the same time. It'd be like, are you using OxyClean and ShamWow? <laughs> like, right. But now there's not that kind of thing that hits anymore because it's so targeted at this one Instagram audience or whatever. And Nicole's like, oh, of course, haven't you heard about this beauty company or whatever? It's like, no, I'm not getting targeted. For, I'm also not on Instagram, so I can't help you there. But just interesting to me because it used to be this like everybody in the country would get smashed with it at once. And now it is so specific on these niche audiences that there could, it's, now I guess recommendations almost become more important to me than they used to be mm-hmm. because it's, there's, it feels like so many scams out there to be like, is OxyClean really, does yeah. it help get those yeah. stains out? I don't know. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think um, it's interesting, you know, like reach and frequency is what everybody knows is, is kind of the one-on-one of advertising and what you're describing, like, is that still, is that still being achieved? And I was excited to see, I can't remember who it was. I don't know if it was trade desk that first releases, but you may have sent it to me that they were going to start offering reach and frequency. That's right. Yeah. Um, in a way that uh, traditional media had for years and years. And, you know, then what will be, I'll say currency and what will be the benchmarks for that in the digital realm, uh, given all the, the targeting and kind of prescriptive, uh, you know, yeah, at platforms, then, you know, what you see in traditional media, will it be accepted? There was something else uh, I was going to mention to you about. God damn it. I love this part of the radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I got it. Nice, I got it. Nice. I told you, you haven't started with timing me yet. Uh, oh, yeah. But I feel like yeah. if it's I need that, within so five seconds. I'm going to add a, a mind-blown sound effect, <laughs> and then I also want to add a, a, a ticking clock sound effect. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I like hope, a Jeopardy. I um, hope one of those does something in my brain. So when yeah. you play that stupid drop, <laughs> it like that, it triggers <laughs> it to like knock it loose. I'm going to forget about this if I keep talking. Uh, so it was about content. Also, 
now getting almost that granular, which is wild. I think people are starting to get onto the fact that it's like, man, I could be in this room on my laptop and get an ad for this. And then my wife or friend or whatever is in the other room mm-hmm. getting a different ad. Um, but to me, even more bizarre is that on that same page, I could be reading a different piece of content than the person in the other room, mm-hmm. um, which is telling you like the level of scale that content is now hitting, as we know, with a lot of the automation, um, the triggers, you know, the way that we're, we're developing content, um, is at such a, a pace now that, um, yeah, what I described is actually happening more than you realize. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, it's kind of the whole, like my Amazon looks different than Nicole's Amazon, but you're saying even within, let's say articles or other types of content. Yeah. I feel like you'll see that more and more politically, but in the way that something's written, um, I noticed this, I noticed a lot because we're in the space, but I always talk to you about ESPN, but, um, sometimes when I see like even background colors for, uh, I don't know, and a sporting event that I could care less about, they'll they'll turn it burn orange mm. you know knowing that you know i'm a ut fan i mean and i don't think it's a coincidence i look for that stuff now and it just blows my mind how custom they're trying to create my experience on espn and they're at the forefront they're on the bleeding edge and so when you think about kind of political content if they know that based on your voter registration you know the data that they have on you um that you lean this direction on that point, this on that point, they can seriously just use uh, NLG um, to tweak that article so that it it is supporting or feeling kind of resonating more with you than it would if I were reading it. Yeah, it's like the crystal nose for exactly. the content. You got it. Yeah. yeah, that would be, I mean, that's really interesting. You got to wonder about the times it goes haywire. Like, would you be willing to accept a, 10, a 10% error rate or 2% error rate? Like, what's your threshold? Because there are certain publications that I get served now that I say not interested in this publication any longer, mm-hmm. just because they're trying to clickbait me with the title. I'm right, like, get out of here. So, could, would you? Is there a risk of that? And what is the true risk of that? Yeah, and that's really left you know to the publisher ultimately, right? Is based on what the traffic trends look like, and then also uh, if they're getting some bad. Uh, feedback on social or whatever yeah. bad comments then and then you'd have to start being really specific each person needs a, a unique url because then if you send me that article like oh, check out this point david and it right. hits me great point with yeah yeah then it's not going to resonate with you the way it would have if you had read it organically yeah or natively wow well good stuff all right well we loved having mike on it was really really interesting and uh, we mentioned to him and i told erica we gotta have a follow-up in a, in a few months because there's just so many you know, branches that we didn't get to go down. Yeah. I definitely want to work with a guy or be a, be a client of 30 lines. But as I said to him towards the tail end, if we turn a few clients, he will not be back on the digital dudes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you didn't like hearing Mike, you just cancel with digital, go work for him and let us know about it. Mm-hmm. And we won't have him back on. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're here with Mike Whaling. Um, oh, shoot. We would have already done an intro, so they would know who we are, Reed. So, Mike, why don't you introduce yourself, since we wouldn't have introduced you offline. Well, Go cool. ahead. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I am a big fan of what you do and in, in your work and in the podcast. So, uh, my name is Mike Whaling. I am president and founder of 30 Lines. 
Um, we are a marketing technology studio that primarily serves multifamily. We do a little bit of work outside the industry just to just to keep keep us fresh. Um, we have some fun with restaurants and and some retail and some professional services, but ninety percent of our business is multifamily at this point. Um, Thirty Lines is really a marketing technology studio. Um, very similar arrangement to what I think uh, how you run Digital. Um, we have our client services side, which is traditional, you know, digital marketing agency. We do a lot of SEO. We do a lot of website builds. One thing that we do that I think sets us apart is um, we're, we're very, very big on email and and everything that connects with that list building and email at every step of the journey. Um, but then we also have our technology side. Um, our flagship product is called RentPress. RentPress is a kind of a decentralized apartment marketing platform. Um, we'll t- get into that a little bit, but RentPress started as a WordPress plugin, um, just a way for us to easily build that e-commerce engine to on the websites that we're building, and it's it's turned into a full marketing platform with it, with its own web app and connects with a bunch of other services. And we've got about you know, eighteen different um, other agency partners out there that are using RentPress to power the websites that they build. So. Um, it's been a fun journey to, to get into the software world, world as well. Well, Reed, I feel like I got six questions already out of his intro. Did you want to go first or should I hit my six? Um, I'm going to start with one I think you wrote down first. And I'm not going to say it was a huge surprise because I feel like at some point I had looked at 39 site and noticed that they, they weren't strictly multifamily. So, um, yeah, if you can quickly answer that one, then I'll let David get to his deluge of questions from your uh, introduction. Um, but you mentioned restaurants, retail, keeping it fresh. Uh, for us, when we came into the industry, that was definitely one of the things that people appreciated was, you know, we we came with a different perspective, having worked with automotive, worked with health healthcare, worked with retail. And so it makes a lot of sense to me as far as keeping it fresh. But if you could speak any more to that, is are you uh, is it a ratio you're always kind of uh, staying on top of, meaning you don't really want to see that part of the business grow more than 10%? Or if things were to suddenly take off, um, you had some bigger clients, that that could change, change, change the outlook uh, for you, Mike? I would say... If the business is there, we definitely see opportunities in other industries. I, I absolutely see some opportunities for us in restaurants. Um, I see a lot. Like we've really always focused on connecting online and offline. Um, how do you use online to drive offline foot traffic? So anything where it makes sense for us to, to point people to your door, um, we see opportunities there. Um, there's actually a lot of, of, of opportunities in automotive, which I think is probably the, the customer journey that's ultimately the most similar to, to multifamily is an automotive. Um, but, you know, really we've, we've made a commitment to focus on multifamily. We want to know the language, the, the language. We want to know the lingo. Um, we want to go really deep into multifamily and, and um, you know, we still see some opportunities there to leverage. Um, and, you know, if, if our restaurant, if we, had a, some other restaurants that came to us and said, "Hey, we like what you're doing. We want to we want to work with you too." Um, we would probably consider it, but right now, our you know our sales efforts and our marketing efforts and our outreach are, are totally focused on multifamily. We want to we want to really focus on um, the problems that we see that are you know relatively unique to this industry. And so then. 
the reason to maintain that book, I guess, keep serving it is is almost exclusively just for outside of category learnings. As you said, keeping it fresh, just didn't know if there's any, any more you'd expand on that. But if you want to go super deep, why not just completely narrow the focus I mean, to real estate? It's just relationships, right? We've been working with, we've, we've had clients on, you know, on both sides of the business. We've had clients for over a decade now and we like and work with them. They like working with us yeah. and there's no reason to change it. Um, and we've had that conversation with clients. Yeah. We, we, you know, we're not afraid to say, Hey, we're focused on multifamily. That's where we're, you know, but at the same time, we're, we're pretty good at marketing. Um, so if you need help with marketing, we can help you whether you're opening a restaurant or whether you're, you know, we work with the local chamber of commerce here in Columbus and, and you know, we've, we've enjoyed that greatly and it's been a good relationship for us. So, um, some of it's just, we like the work. Cool. Yeah. Is that then dependent on you having the right personnel on staff to take it on? I'll just say that we suffer with this sometimes. Like we have a very formulaic situation when it comes to property management. But if someone comes with us a little bit outside the box, it's like we have to think, do we have an, a, an account manager that is skilled enough to take this on without Reed or I being involved to quarterback because we have to be protective of just where we're spending totally. our efforts. So if you could speak to how you're managing that yeah, out of you category. Know, I think – we're a pretty small shop. We're only, we're at 25 people right now. Um, but we're constantly, whenever we're making hiring decisions, we're always looking at that, that balance of, I want people who have a, uh, you know, I, I want to have somebody on the team that has deep knowledge in multifamily. And we've hired from, um, we've hired from, you know, people who were marketing directors on the multifamily side, on the operator side before, and we love having them on the team because they have that deep knowledge and they can speak to, hey, here's what an owner is going to ask and what, what they're looking for. Um, but we also want people who have deep knowledge in digital marketing and in software and some of the other things that we're trying to do. Um, you know, I want, I want that, that product knowledge as well. Um, we're in an interesting spot where... I think there's one side of the house, which is these are the marketers or the people that are advocating for our clients and really are trying to articulate, here's what it would be really cool if we could do this. And then the other side of the house, we've got our product experts and our software team and our engineers. And I want them to be able to communicate and hear, uh, here's what's possible. Here's something that you can do right now. I have this technology. I have this, this idea. How can we connect those two? And, you know, really when we look at our hiring and we look at even just how we brainstorm what we're going to focus on next, um, I'm looking to create a nuclear reaction there. I want all of those people to get together and go, all right, you know, this is the marketer. This is what I'm trying to do. This is what's possible. Let's put those together and see what, what we get. Um, so how do I get the, the nuclear energy there without causing a, a giant explosion in, in, the, in the meantime, that's really what we're going for. So um, yeah, I look for people. I, I mean, I look for, I look for people with great attitudes first. Right. And I know that you, you guys are both really passionate about hiring and team building. The first thing that I look for is, you know, are you a curious learner? Do you have the attitude that's going to be a culture ad? And, you know, I can teach people the multifamily business if I need to. I can teach them some of the basics of, of marketing if, if, if I need to. Um, but it always helps to have people that come with that background and, and have that deep, deep knowledge um, and are still when willing to, to learn the rest of the bits of the business. 
Yeah, well, that's helpful. Maybe if we back up a second, because I, you guys have been cool. in business over a decade. Yep. Coming up on right? fifteen years. Yeah, I said fourteen. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I see. I got a steel trap up here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, Mike, would you walk us through a little bit maybe of how the company has evolved over 15 years and what how you're seeing the current vision? Like when you're talking about like setting or mission or whatever, and, and I love this term that, uh, that you said that you labeled you guys like marketing technology studio. So I think that's a really interesting way to look at. It. So, yeah, just talk to us a little bit of how the company yeah, has evolved so over time. We started now. I started because. I was, I was working for another vendor in the industry and I was attending conferences like Optech and NAA. And, you know, at the time it was all about MySpace, you know, and I heard executives talking about our residents are on MySpace. We need to be on MySpace. And, you know, at, at the time I'm like mm. the youngest guy in the room by, by 10 years, it felt like. Um, but I, you know, I just saw that there was a lot of lip service to social media, but there wasn't really anybody that was really taking advantage of the opportunities. Um, and I saw early on kind of where social media and SEO were going to come together and to just like, you know, now it's just the way that the internet works and the way that we interact with the internet every day. Right. But there was this content opportunity and we started as a content shop. Um, we started helping people with social media. We started helping people with um, some SEO work. And some other consulting along the way. I mean, at one point we were building HTML Craigslist templates for people because they wanted the beautiful Craigslist designs when Craig still allowed that. And, and we were doing that. Um, but really, we've always just been problem solvers. We've been looking for how do we build a better marketing machine? And that's really been our focus all along. And it's just led us to some of the other opportunities along the way. So we got into, um, you know, I, my, my views on social media have changed mainly because um, I don't think that this industry is truly willing to make the investments in social media to make it a, a really fruitful platform or as successful as it could be. Um, and so we went to other channels that we saw could be more successful without a, a huge investment, without a, a huge human capital investment. Um, so that led us to websites and email um, out of the websites, you know, we saw over and over again, we were going to do the same things. We were going to, you know, we needed to pull pricing availability. We needed to pass the collect leads and pass them through to industry CRMs. So we turned that into our, our first product, which is rent press. So, you know, we took the thing that we were building over and over again and just productized it into a plugin. Um, and we started using that ourselves. And now, you know, 60% of the properties that are on RentPress are managed by other agencies. So um, there's kind of been this evolution of where are the opportunities? How can, we, how can we show results? How can we show our value? And how can we make it easier for people to shop? You know, I think that there's a connection for me in, um, you know, I do some, some local volunteer work here with a, with a nonprofit that's very involved. It's one of the largest affordable housing providers here in central Ohio. Um, housing for everybody is, uh, is uh, something I'm pretty passionate about. Um, when we don't build enough housing, we've gone through a year, a, a decade of underbuilding. Um, and I can talk to you all day about like nimbyism and some of the things that, that are preventing um, people from accessing the housing that they need today. But overall, 
we want to make it easier for people to find their next home. We know how much it means to people. And we also know how much it's, uh, how painful the apartment shopping process is. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's an annoying, tedious, painful process. And we think that there's a lot of things that, you know, go back to other industries. We think there's a lot of things that other industries do really well where we can pull and borrow and remix that experience, but keep it familiar enough. If you've been on Amazon or if you've been on Southwest Airlines, if you've been on booked a hotel, there are familiar shopping experiences there that we can learn from and apply to this industry and make it easier for people to shop and make it easier for our, for our clients to uh, collect leads efficiently. Is, are there um, certain constraints then that you guys have purposely put on yourselves? And I can't remember, are you, do you have a, another partner or founder, I don't, right? Actually, no, Isn't there somebody? Just me. Oh, you're the that, buck stops it. with Mike. Okay. Sorry. Um, there goes your steel trap memory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you can only, you can only put one thing in at a time. <laughs> that's, that's the way it works. Um, well, I'm, I'm asking if there's certain constraints because you mentioned like uh, you didn't want to go the social media way because of the human capital investment and folks weren't willing to invest as much in there as you as well as you would like to be successful. But I'm guessing you could have scaled it. I mean, I remember Easy Media from like five or six years ago that yep. scaled with humans right uh, before they got bought. So are there other constraints? And I'll say offline, you mentioned to us how you guys had purposely not, or you had purposely not raised money um, along the way, which, you know, we're, we line up with you there. So are there certain things like that that you've put in place that have shaped how you've gone about building, I guess, 30 lines? And then as you start to build uh, right I mean, across on the side? Yes and no. I think that we probably don't ask ourselves enough, like, what should we stop doing? Um, but you know, mm -hmm. social media is one of those things. I think the other area that we've we've stopped doing is we don't do reputation management for people. Um, I, I don't think that that's something that, that scales well. And I, again, I think that that's something that is better suited for in-house. You know, responding to reviews takes, there's an art to it. There's a science to it. There is a, um, there's a certain level of knowledge about the situation that you need to do it well. You know, when we were responding to reviews from people, I told them, I need your maintenance supervisor's cell phone number. I need your property manager's cell phone number. And I need to be able to talk to them if I, if the, the situation warrants it, because I want to make sure that we get it right. I want to make sure that we represent you in a way that is in line with communication that's already happened. And we can't do that if we don't have access to your people. Um, and you, you can tell pretty quickly that that's not something that scales well. So we've partnered up with some other people that do that. And we have some resources that we put together that we can provide to our clients. But there's definitely some things that we've seen where it's like um, there's a level of commitment. There's a level of energy. There's a level of, hey, you need to be there or you need to have access to the information uh, in order to do this well. And we did not want to provide a, a service that, that didn't meet that standard. Well, I have one other and I'll kick it back Reed's way. Um, what would success look like then for Mike 10 years from now? And I mentioned that because you, as this marketing technology studio and this concept where you say you're problem solvers, is it that you guys have a portfolio of products? Is it that 
Mike kind of is retired, if you will, but you know, it's still operating. I'm just wondering, cause we go through the same thing where we have all these ideas we want to work on and we're trying to decide how to continue to focus ourselves or do they, do they connect together? And one other, I get, well, yeah, I guess I'll stop there and then I can add context on the end of that question if I need. Uh, I mean, I think ultimate success is that we're having this next conversation 10 years from now uh, and, and we're doing it from a beach in Costa Rica. Uh, I think that's I think that's the ultimate success. Um, you know, for me, I don't think there's ever going to be uh, we're never going to be done solving problems. Right. There's always going to be something else that comes up. Um we're trying to grow a sustainable business. We're trying to grow something where the bits and pieces fit together and make sense. Um, we still see uh, a lot of opportunities on the product side. Um, you know, personally, I'm also looking at you know expanding. Um, I would love personally to, to to get into the other side of the business. You know, I, I see. I, I'm very interested in mm-hmm. the real estate and the development side. Um, and I think that that's something I'll probably, probably, uh, try at some point. Um, because I do think that there is, uh, a level of service and a level of, of customer experience that, um, you know, I only can control so much as the being the marketing agency. And if I had the opportunity to create that experience on my own, um, I think that there's some pretty unique things that we could do. So, um, but, but listen, I mean, on the agency side, I'm trying to build a sustainable business that is, that is profitable, that takes care of our people, that takes care of our clients, and that continues to, um, solve meaningful challenges for our clients. Yeah, I appreciate that. Cause I could see just from, you know, you and I have been on a number of different panels and things together over time. And I feel like I could see, I see you guys almost as like this one of these few people that is very uh, can be very specialized in a positive way, meaning like you can say like, this is the exact perfect way to do this thing in in an ideal world. And you seem to have the energy to try to do that for that property. And I'll think um, Philip from um, lineups is another one of these folks, like the energy that you two have to like really put into that particular project is you know, it's inspiring in a way. Uh, but I can also see like you have the mind where you're saying one of your goals is to help uh, f- renters find the right apartment, you know, the, the best apartment. And to me that when Reed and I've had that conversation, it quickly leads down the road of ILS, yep. like building an ILS versus working on individual properties. Cause we're just, we're a factor of like, we're helping this property get the best tenants right now but that doesn't mean it's the best property it's just the one that's giving us the money right so if if it's more about finding people the right home then we got to cover everything so i could have seen you going down the ils route and that's kind of why i asked the the constraint question because that you may have said will requires raising money and that's a no-go for you and so therefore right now you're doing this thing that you're doing but that's where the question was stemming from i it is very difficult to scale that brand experience, but it's also why I'm so big on the brand opportunity and brand loyalty within multifamily. And I don't think that it's something that really exists on the customer side, you know, within the industry, people know UDR, they know Camden, they know Graystar, but I don't think that there's anybody really clamoring to, to move into the next, you know, uh, I, I want to, I, I will only live in UDR. I'm sure that there are people out there that, that, that enjoy that, but you know, I think that the more that you can focus on building 
brand loyalty at a portfolio level, then you can actually start to scale some of that. Oh yeah, this, this is the, the right group for me. Um, and I want, you know, if I'm moving from Denver to Chicago and I see that you have another property, then that's going to be first on my list because I've had such a great experience. And I know that when I go there, you're going to be super pet friendly and you're going to have these other, other things that I really appreciate as a, as a customer. Um, right now, ILSs are successful because brand loyalty doesn't exist, right? So when brand loyalty is not a thing, then the customer is only going to search based on location and price. And do you check the couple of other boxes that I need to have checked? Um, the analogy I use a lot is like, if I'm a, if I'm a, a band and I'm just starting out, I'm trying to grow my awareness, I need to be on every single platform. And I need to be, I need to, you know, pay, pay the piper and let Apple take a cut and Spotify takes a cut and everybody else. When you have the brand recognition of Taylor Swift or Beyonce or Garth Brooks, you can tell Spotify, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to drop a tweet or I'm going to post something on Instagram about my new album and I'm going to sell more than enough, Right. It's because they have that brand recognition and brand loyalty. I feel like most properties are in that position where like they need to rely on Apple. They need to rely on Spotify. They need to rely on Zillow and apartments.com because that's the only way that they're going to create enough awareness and visibility because we haven't made the investments in brand. So take that back. Yeah, there's a certain story to tell about this property in the specific neighborhood and this part of Denver. But what if you could take those brand elements and create, start to expand that out a little bit more? And, you know, I reference Kimpton Hotels a lot. Kimpton is a phenomenal brand, uh, you know, case study because every one of their properties is named something different and it takes on the vibe of the neighborhood. But it's also always uniquely Kimpton. There's a little bit more modern design. They're super pet friendly. Um, they, they always have the manager's happy hour. Like there's certain elements that, you know, you can walk into a Kempton and expect it. And they're, you know, I've heard their marketing team talk about this before. I think that there are some opportunities like that to put in place in multifamily. And then all of a sudden you don't have to rely on the, the ILS as much because now I know, Hey, yeah, I'm moving, but I, I definitely want to stay in the portfolio and, and take advantage of the benefits that I've enjoyed in my current apartment. Well, all great stuff. I knew you were going to throw down some some wisdom and knowledge on us. So I'm going to uh, tee you up for some more here. When we came back to the office, uh, uh, I guess a year and a half ago now, is that when we were No, it was actually just a year ago. Oh my gosh. Times fly. Um, We put our team through a 2050 thought experiment. And so we said, instead of us all kind of saying hi to each other and heads down, you know, let, let's uh, do something a little more outside of the ba- uh, box, a little more right brain. And so we really wanted to provoke um, what we, we hoped was some productive and, and different dialogue here about the future. And um, being the thought leader that you are, the problem solver, you know, the visionary, and I'll stop there. Um, I'm curious how you paint that. And for us, it was more pointed at us as a company, not as much at the industry. And so we were just trying to get folks to think a little differently and 
uh, about how their roles might, might evolve. And it's great when you're at a company, I'll say, whether it's 30 lines or digital, that seems to constantly be evolving. So it does create new opportunities and eliminate some of that, I guess, burnout or groundhog day. Um, and I could go off on a rant just about that. But um, I'm more curious to hear you, Mike, um, paint you know, a 2050 picture for us of, of multifamily and hopefully with with more of a, a marketing slant to it but uh you know and, and the reason we went as far as 2050 is it's a lot easier and safer to say here's what i think might happen in the next couple of years but it does take i think more true kind of vision um to to have an opinion at least one that people will buy into of 15 20 years out so what do you got Man, for us? especially you asked me that question after the last two and a half three years that we've just had um, where uh, it's, it's hard to predict what's going to happen <laughs> next quarter. A lot of um, pains. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think ultimately when it comes down to it, shelter is a basic need, right? And I think that there's a lot of elements that are going to stay the same. Um, I do think, though, that we have a, a lot of opportunities for what does the experience look like Um we're definitely seeing a shift towards bigger and bigger companies. And, um, you know, you, you, just, you just mentioned something. I think one thing that I'm seeing that's really interesting is more special, more specialization of roles within the, our clients. Our clients are now hiring marketing automation specialists. They're now hiring brand partnership experts. They're bringing in people from hospitality and from other industries. And you're seeing folks with different skills and with, uh, you know, different backgrounds that really change the way that their whole organizations can think. And, you know, I think that that's phenomenal because now you're starting to see, Hey, um, we are putting really consult, really concerted effort into, um, what do our brand partnerships look like? Um, I think we're going to see networks, of companies starting to band together, you know, David, go back to your point about, you know, go the ILS route. Well, um, similar to airlines where, you know, uh, there's like, uh, the sky Alliance and it's different airlines and they can share points between each other. I think we'll start to see something like that to, to combat, um, the ILSs, to combat Airbnb, to combat some of the other, the other, potential disruptors coming into the industry. But I think that there's an opportunity here for, for companies to get together and um, really provide a connected experience so that it's, Hey, here's everything that we have to offer. And here are the brand partnerships that help make your resident experience more interesting, more compelling, more, more comfortable, more convenient. And if you ever choose to go somewhere else, you can stay kind of in network and continue to, to carry those benefits with you. Um, so I do see, you know, one thing that I'm really encouraged by right now is more and more of our clients are taking control of their own data. And we're, you know, we're just starting to see what that looks like in terms of foundation. But 2050, that now means that we actually have, you know, whether it's a contact lens or, something in our ear, whatever it is that replaces our phone, um, you're going to have all of the systems talk to each other. Um, you know, we'll be able to 
the apartment building will know when you're coming home and will automatically let you in, probably put your name up on the screen. Hey, welcome home, Reed. Uh, your food's waiting for you down in the, down in the lobby or down in the, the, the package room or whatever that looks like. Um, and you can, you, you, all of these systems, both software and hardware can talk to each other. You know, Apple is a great example of that now with computers and everything that they've done right now, none of our systems talk to each other as well as they could. And I think that as we get more and more, uh, more evolved as more of our clients, as more operators take control of the, of the, of their resident data and of their data platform as a whole, it now starts to give us opportunities to create that more connected experience of, Hey, I can use my phone as my key. I can use my phone to check in and, you know, yeah, there's a, a coffee shop that's, that's on the first floor and all I have to do is scan and I can just add it to my rent. And it's, it's a very connected, cohesive experience, much like you experience today in a, you know, at a resort or in a hotel or things like that. Yeah. Well, a lot of great points, uh, jumping off points, I'll say that we could talk more about, but, um, I'll follow this up with a, a more direct question, which is what do you imagine the marketing mix looking like in 15, 20 years? And that's somewhat loaded, but you know, for example, does ILS even exist 15 to 20 years from now? I feel like it started like people saying it's the beginning of the end, or maybe they were saying that a few years ago. Uh, but David and I, with our backgrounds, and you probably don't know this, but we both started, funny enough, in online advertising with Verizon at the beginning of our careers. And people were forecasting the end of not only print, but but even kind of those models. And, and yet here they are, and they still exist and are garnering a lot of market share. So um, you mentioned email is one of the things you guys are great at. That's another one that people keep saying, you know, that's old school um, and it's what they don't know, but yeah, more, more directly, uh, with all the move to, to PPC, et cetera, how do you imagine that marketing mix looking, uh, 15, 20 years out? I mean, I, I don't think ILSs are going to go anywhere. I think that there's, you know, we've seen some consolidation there. I'm not sure how much more consolidation can happen. I, I fully expect the ILSs to continue to get more into get further down the customer journey and take over more and more of, of the business where they can. Um, and I think that there are going to be plenty of operators that are going to be perfectly fine with that. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me uh, to see apartments.com, you know, I think an acquisition that makes a ton of sense for them is something like tour 24 and, and have that, that experience go all the way into the property and really be able to provide a ton of, of, of insights and, kind of manage that experience that much further. Um, and you, you've already seen that with Zillow, you know, Zillow's trying that they're, they're looking at all different ways to, to get further and further into the renter experience and, and take more of the fees along the way. Right. Um, Google, mm -hmm. Google is just, you know, they're, I still think that most people, <laughs> when they start their search, it is a search, right? It's an online search. They go to Google, they go to, you know, there's a handful of us, they go to Bing or whatever, but people have that search of show me apartments near X. Um, you know, we're starting to see a little bit of that with YouTube. And I mean, YouTube certainly 
we're starting to see some people that are doing that on on platforms like TikTok. But people are generally they have a search in mind. The search behavior is I'm going to go to a search engine and start from there. Um, it's going to take a massive consumer behavior shift to get away from that. Um, yep. Beyond that, though, well, go ahead. And SEO and social. No, I'm sorry. Just you mentioned you guys in well, in particular on the. I don't think you qualified to say organic social because uh, you were talking a little rep management. But what's scalable? What's not? What we anticipate investment. Um, or where we anticipate investment versus where we don't and how that could change the equation. Cause as you said, it would take a radically different kind of consumer behavior for things not to start um, through search, but knowing that you guys uh, put a lot of attention on SEO and that you kind of moved on from social that that was, those were two. I was also curious to hear your thoughts on um, looking ahead, you know, and I'll now, Bring this a little bit closer, but in the next five to ten years, uh, do you see more and more money going to SEO? Um, certainly, openly, we've seen a ton of growth within our own portfolio there, which has been nice to see. People are appreciating more kind of the conversion rates and their money working smarter, not harder, is a simple way of putting it. Um, uh, but I think we've been kind of static, um, and you know, some of this is probably how we go to market, but on the social side of things. And so I was anticipating a little bit more movement maybe between those two and then not seeing quite as much, uh, search and, um, you know, you don't have to, I guess, disclose like everything at 30 lines. This is more about what we're, how we're thinking about the future. So bring sure. it back. Uh, any more thoughts on SEO or social, uh, in the next five to 10 years? I think search is a massive opportunity and, uh, will continue to be for at least another decade. But what I see is there's an opportunity for operators to go upstream with search and actually start to compete with the ILSs. And what I mean by that is um, too often, uh, I'm very, very excited about the move towards centralization because I think that that matches what consumers have wanted and what, and how they behave for a long time, you know, I'm, if I'm looking for, uh, you know, if I'm looking for uh, an apartment, I'm typically going to look for, I need a two bedroom near Union Station in Denver, right? And it's like, if I can create that content that answers that question, SEO is very simply, it is, can you be the best answer for the, for the searcher's question, right? The ILS is win because people are searching for apartments near downtown Denver, apartments near DTC, right? And Google knows that person is looking for a bunch of different options. So the, the sites that have all the options are the ILSs. Well, if I have a client who has 10 properties near downtown Denver, now I can take their corporate website and I can start to create content that, that competes there. Here are apartments near Denver Tech Center. And here are the 10 communities that we have that match that with all of these apartments that are available and different floor plans and all those kinds of things. Now I have content that is starting to be a better answer. And in a lot of cases, it, it ranks very competitively with the ILSs because it's so focused on answering that particular question. You're not going to answer that question. You're not going to rank that well with a single property website. It's really difficult. You and I are both, we both have clients that are coming to us saying, Hey, this is the term that we want to rank for. 
and you know how hard it is to do. Part of the reason is because we're probably doing it in the wrong place. So if we can take that to a corporate website and build landing pages that actually answer that question with the, the answer that Google thinks is the best answer, now I'm showing you all these options. It totally changes the customer journey because now I have to figure out, all right, uh, how do we get in front of those people? How do we steer them to the properties that need, need, need attention? How do we make sure that we are answering their question and getting them in front of the properties that are a good fit for what they want? How do I capture their information? If I'm now getting in front of them earlier in the process, how do I capture their information so that my team can start nurturing them in new and unique ways? And that's where email and social and a few other channels really start to come into play. So evolution of marketing is go upstream, compete with the ILSs in your own way, but then have the systems in place to, you know, kind of steer the customer journey in the way that you want it to go where you can. Got it. Good stuff. Well, I'm going to show some extreme focus here, Reed, and not bite on the regional conversation. I was wondering. Yeah, but because I, I want to stay on like as you're doing the 2050. So uh, two things. One is you brought up uh, how excited you are about the centralization of things and the connectedness of things. I'm actually wondering it why you're so optimistic about that over the next 30 years versus pessimistic because we have just seen in many ways like with as easy as, as it is to spin up a, a technology company or, or ad tech company or whatever it is martech company it it um they each get built in their own way with their own schemas and like uh there's no i'll say dedicated schema to like apartment marketing for example for uh, versus like mit, the mitz feed so why are you I guess, bullish on this idea that 30 years from now, everything's going to actually be interconnected because I could see it getting more fractional first before it gets connected. Oh, me too. But I think as more and more, I mean, listen, there's definitely <laughs> a realist part of this that's going to go, yeah, none of this is going to work and we're, it's just going to be even worse. Um, you know, <laughs> I think we were all really excited about cutting the cable cord and like, you know, not having to deal with cable anymore. And now we're starting to mm -hmm. see that like all the content is fragmented and it's it's probably not a better customer experience at this point to find the show you want to watch right like that's a perfect example that we're living through right now of technology is evolving in a way that is not necessarily helping the customer and i think there's going to be some some consolidation back the other way like apple tv is trying to do that and roku and a few others but um you know i'm encouraged by the fact that our clients, and I think that you probably see this too, our clients are starting to build data warehouses and data lakes and they're starting to, you know, the requirement is not, do you integrate with our property management software? It is, can you integrate with X data platform? And what that starts to create is now we have the opportunities to dictate how we want the customer experience to look and how we want data to talk to each other. And, and it's going to happen internally first. It's going to happen in improvements in BI systems first. Now, now this data pulls into our warehouse and we can see it and our executives can make decisions. Um, but the smarter marketers, the smarter operators are going to be looking at how do I use this data to create a better resident experience? And they will. And it's going to take a while. But that's, that's, my, that's my optimistic view. Yeah. Well, the 
No, I appreciate it. I, th- I'm going to connect this to my second question, but um, you mentioned that it's been a, a housing shortage or underbuilt for 10 years, and um, and we've seen that across the country, this housing crisis. Well, pointed, uh, sorry, but that was pointed at affordable, or were you saying in like at I large? I mean, we don't. I, I, you had I think we're okay at f- Class A. You know, if you talk to if you talk to Jay Parsons that's what I was gonna and say. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know yeah. some of the other economists that really look at this all the time, I think that they will tell you that we're in pretty good shape when it comes to to, to Class A housing. You know, the affordable the the, the affordability gap mm-hmm. is in workforce and in that you know uh, some people call it like the missing middle, um, but it's it's really uh, there where we're seeing a lot of issues. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's appreciate it. Uh, where I'm going with that is I it has been we've seen this, but it's been very easy for folks to lease up an apartment mm-hmm. ever since we started digital. Like you could art so I've there's people that are like, Why the yep. hell should I spend on advertising when you know I just open my door <laughs> and then like there's enough lead volume coming in. Um we say like, yes, but you could probably drive rents higher if whatever you're getting higher quality leads and more in the door. But all that to say is it hasn't been very challenging respectively for folks to make a viable business out of uh, Correct. rental real estate. And so in a way that makes me pessimistic about people making investments in making being more efficient as a re- residential real estate. Like if this market got all of a sudden super competitive, you, you would see so much R and D happening, people building data warehouses and whatnot. But right now they, you can kind of stink at the job and still make mm-hmm. a turn a turn a profit. And so I know I'm, some of our listeners probably think I'm being a little harsh on them in particular, but I'm just saying it's not as challenging as it is if we were, um, uh, I was just listening to a founder that just opened one of the first, uh, battery mining operations in, in North America, actually, because most, almost everybody that has like uh, produces lithium batteries is in China. So China basically in theoretically in the next two decades rules the world because they have the battery supply. So um, he was saying most people don't want to invest in mining operations because they don't think of it as profitable. It's very competitive, yada, yada. And he's like, you, we have to. Like, if you think about the yep. longevity, everything's going to need a battery. So I'm just, that's my pessimistic view. Uh, but I'm connecting this to my question of what is at risk for us? Like you as a company, us as a company, when COVID hit, we knew all of these folks that had been in travel and they focused just on marketing, like they were a travel marketing company basically. And then they got gutted, right? Is there anything that you see as a, an existential risk when you think about the, the rental real estate marketing, you know, niche, uh, anything that could basically pull a COVID on us? Um, or do you come um, up blank? Listen, I do think that today, to your point, um, we've we've been, we've been able to ride a really nice wave, um, and our clients have been able to ride a really nice wave be, be, because of a number of different factors. Um, I think that right now, even today, it is it is more important that you pick a great piece of dirt for your building than you pick a great software technology platform for said building. Uh, You pick a great piece of dirt and you can have, you can, you know, have the worst property management software in the, in the industry, whichever one that is, but um, you're still going to succeed because you pick the right location. Um, It's going to be that way for a while, I think, but I do see you, you know, you said something a minute ago. Um, I see that companies are leaving money on the table and 
you know, that's for investors who are looking for, especially, so here's, here's what I see in terms of pessimistic view of the, of the near future is, um, I don't think that, I don't think that people have an appreciation for inflation of rent like they have for other, other services. Um, you know, it's very easy to pick on greedy landlords, right? Uh, especially when you see rents going up 10, 15, 20%. It's very like, I can definitely see in, in especially, you know, let's just call it what it is, especially in blue states. I think we're going to see some, some more um, challenges with rent control. Rent control has been proven not to work in many cases. You can look at Washington, D.C. as an example. Um, but it is a easy lever for local politicians to pull, right? And I think that that's going to make it really challenging for our clients to run successful businesses when they're seeing, you know, 100% increases in operating costs and energy costs to run their buildings, and they can't increase prices more than 3% a year. It makes it incredibly difficult for them to run uh, quality, well-kept buildings. Uh, also, if I can't raise rents and I can't make more money, I have to look for ways to cut expenses. And where do people typically cut expenses first? Advertising and marketing. So that's where it hits you and me. Um, you know, I... I want to take a more optimistic view and I want to hope, you know, hope that, that we can find ways to address um, rent increases. You know, I think as an industry, we might need to be thinking about not necessarily self-regulation, but we have to be aware that taking the max rent because that's what the market will bear uh, makes it easier for people to, to throw rent control at us as a, as a, as a control for that. So, we have to be looking at that as a, as a possibility, and especially in you know, certain states over others. Yeah, that's a really strong point. Like, um, it's, a, it's the whole argument of like, we need to self-regulate before the government yep. decides they need to regulate. And like, listen, <laughs> right? I'm just a marketing um, guy. Yeah, it's a strong I point. I doubt that there are any executives that are going to listen to this and go, yeah, they know what they're talking about. Like, um, but... You know, but I, I see it and we see it in comments. We see, you know, we see it in comments on our clients' social media. We see it in like one of the big things that I think is, is an opportunity for this industry is can you create a brand experience that people see more value in? Because people will always be willing to pay more for more perceived value. If, if all you did was raise rents 18%, and it took you a week to fix my toilet. That's not a great experience. But if there are all of these other additional ancillary benefits that I get because I live with you, then you know, yeah, I'm. I know I'm going to get a. I'm. I'm going to pay more no matter where I go. But I have a great experience here, and I'm going to stay loyal to you. So that's that's the the, the positive side of building brand loyalty is can I get people to see more perceived value when they stay with us? Mm -hmm. Well, Reed, do you want to take it anywhere before we get into hot takes or do we move over there? Um, I was going to ask you a little bit about kind of, I guess, lead gen, demand gen. Um, and 
this is another one kind of brings us back to SEO, but how that equation may be changing or the way people are thinking about it. Um, and I didn't know, you know, how 30 lines typically talks through that, you know, with, with your clients. One of the other things I think David mentioned earlier, but uh, if he didn't, we, we talk so much about quality versus quantity and uh, bringing this back to the 2050 that I started with you on. Um, I got a chance to see in a marketing round table, and I'll call her out because it's a positive thing. <laughs> uh, Melissa Robbins from Graystar uh, was up there talking about her vision of the next five to 10 years. And she um, spoke very eloquently and I think um, had a lot of great thoughts about um, the shift that we should anticipate from, you know, just give me more and more leads to uh, a, a time when it's like all you need is 10 or 15 if they're the right ones, right? And um, yeah, that was met with all sorts of qualifiers. So didn't know if you wanted to comment just a little bit about lead gen and how you guys make that distinguishment between, you know, volume versus qual- quality and how that may affect, you know, I guess some of those other recommendations you wrap into oh, man. a building. I, I love Ms. Melissa. She's fantastic. I wish I could have heard, heard those comments. You'll have to have to share those with me sometime. Um, we come at it two ways and brand is going to be part of it. But, you know, one, I, I, I'm not really a fan of spray and pray. We look at it. We actually, we have developed a, a, a framework. It's called Look, Learn, Least Love. It's, you know, entirely based off of customer behavior at every stage of, of the process. And we look at what are the KPIs and what are the conversion points that we want to track at every step, right? So when I'm talking with a client about how much should they spend, you know, I think you guys, you guys have, you know, kind of built this into your Fiona product, if I don't, if I understand it right. But, you know, we really look at um, what are your conversion rates? You know, what is your, what is your tour to app ratio? What is your, um, you, you know, your website to tour ratio? What are the conversion rates at every step? And where can we make those improvements? Because rather than go spend another $2,000 a month on PPC or another ILS or something like that, it makes more sense in most cases to improve the nurturing or improve the sales training or improve the conversion rate on the website. You know, I know we, we have a, an algorithm that shows this to clients, but um, I know that if I can get a client to improve their leasing team's closing rate by, by 10, by 10%, if I can get them to go from 35% closing to 39% closing, I can cut their PPC budget at the top of the funnel by over 50% and not impact their leasing velocity at all. So where would you rather spend the money? Would you rather spend the money at the bottom or would you rather keep money, keep handing money to Google and the ILSs? So that's the first place that I would, 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 would point to. I think the other place is, we're in a really unique industry and I know you guys have a lot of respect for this. I think you're developing a fair housing product or maybe you have one out already. Right. But um, we're in a really unique industry in that there's this view of you have to advertise to everybody. And I'm, you know, I am very, very uh, appreciative of the fact that we have fair housing and the equal, equal, equal housing as, as a, you know, as law and as, as, you know, housing as a right for everybody what what i see though is as marketers we don't necessarily think enough about 
who are we for? And you can be, you can communicate who you're for without excluding anybody. You can say, we're the building for uh, aspiring chefs. And here are the amenities and here are the things that we do that allow for that. We're the building for, um, uh, you know, urbanites. We're the building for triathletes. Here are all the things that we do. And here's the running club. And here are the things that we offer based on, you know, this is what I want to, who I want to attract. If I'm able to communicate those that, that more clearly, here's who I'm for. I'm just naturally going to get more qualified prospects along the way. So, you know, it doesn't have to be that focused, but the more focused you can make it, the more clearly you communicate that message, the easier it's going to be for you to go. Yeah. These are the people that are super qualified leads and I don't have to worry about all the rest. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say no to them. I'm not going to turn them down, but these are the people that I'm for and who I'm going to continue. That becomes my tribe, right? Totally. I'm going to give you credit, Mike, because um, as some listeners know, our lights went off because we didn't move in whatever, <laughs> 45 minutes. <laughs> so like, but you didn't, you didn't skip a beat. Most people get like really freaked out when our lights, when our lights go off, they think they lost us, but just shows all the public speaking uh, experience that you have. Yeah. Unflappable. Well, part two of that question, and I'll say uh, openly is one of my least favorite conversations only because I get so exhausted by it and, and uh, frustrated but I'll still bring it up today, um, which is multi-touch attribution. So when we talk about, you know, how this uh, puzzle works, um, it's, you mentioned earlier, I think, or maybe we're offline when you said one of the common uh, frustrations you hear or deal with is when the owner's like, why aren't I on page one? And you have to try to explain that to them. Um, But one of the others is, hey, with all this digital marketing, I should be able to connect the dots every time, know the source with confidence, et cetera. And to me, that's just not a reality that we also have to talk to them about. But at the same time, there is some fairness to like, shouldn't we have a better sense or handle on attribution today than we did five, 10 years ago? Um, it's tough because in parallel, you are seeing the advent of a lot of other technology and platforms. It's not as simple as there's just three or four that we have to figure out. And so that makes the kind of the targets always moving. But i um, curious to hear how, how you talk through multi-touch attribution with, uh, with your clientele. Um, worry more about contribution than attribution. You know, I think that we have to focus. Mm. Write that down. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an alliteration there. I'll give you credit for that we, one too. Uh, I'm, I'm not that. sure that that's even mine. I, like I think it. I heard that somewhere else. But, uh, but anyways. Uh, oh, Mike. You, I know. You could have been a legend <laughs> in the hey, industry. I actually heard it from you. I, I heard, heard it from like, you. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot. That, that, was, uh, yeah, that was me. Yeah, no. So I knew it sounded familiar. I think yeah. that we have to worry about what sources, what channels contributed to the lead versus attributing it to a specific source, right? Um, the other thing that I would say, and you know, maybe this is a hot tech, maybe it's not, uh, multi-touch attribution is not real until the ILSs are willing to play ball. Because right now, I don't have full visibility into, did someone view my, my apartments.com listing and not convert, but then they came to my website or they came to my Google business listing or they saw an ad and then they clicked and then they talked to us. Um, right now we're missing 
this huge piece at the top of the funnel of what's happening and how are people finding us and uh, how is that then, you know, getting them to put us on a short list where, you know, I've seen different data points, but, you know, we've seen people are like over halfway through their search by the time they raise your hand and actually reach out to the property. I've seen other data from third parties that say that Mm -hmm. most people in their apartment search just give up. Like it's, it's, it becomes too hard. And so they're just like, screw it. I'll stay with my parents or I'll keep my roommate that I have and, and I'll worry about it later. Um, so I think that we have to, uh, one, not worry about attribution so much, but if we really do want this, then we have to engage more partners and look at how do we actually build some visibility into parts that are completely invisible right now. Totally. And I just don't know what it, I guess it's going to take. It seems like a groundswell in order to get the ILSs to play ball, as you're saying, um, and start offering more visibility uh, tracking um, to third parties so that we can piece piece the puzzles uh, together. And uh, there's plenty of people that gripe about it. And I don't know if you have a, a, a thought on this or feeling about the how realistic that is um, for us to hope that in the next few years, um, the ILSs will will start opening themselves up more. Well, I actually love where Mike's going. Just put push the blame on the ILS because, like, the ILS has had really good attribution. To Mike's point before, now I think in many ways the ILS is both underrepresented and overrepresented when it comes to attribution. There are lots of things they don't get credit for, but there's lots yeah. they get credit that they shouldn't. Um, but if we if the if the marketplace it's sort of the whole voting with your dollar, if more votes start being put towards you know, pay-per-click, SEO, social, website stuff, then uh, there's going to be more technology built around that attribution. And if you show like, well, we know we're half of your spend, like how that shook out as far as like the customer journey of what platforms they touched and then converted. But there's we're, there's a big gap in this half of your budget. That no longer, right now, I feel like the onus is on the agencies to like try to handle this like multi touch attribution and not the ILS. But very, if the dollars keep shifting and there's more dollars on the agency than the ILS, all of a sudden the ILS becomes the ugly duckling, the one that's like, well, we can't tell that what you did contribute to or not. And so then they'll be forced to to get on board and open up. Well, funny so, enough, I think no. they're well on their way <laughs> to being that ugly duck, duckling. Well, and um, Sadly, though, I think they're reacting the, the opposite. I think that they're clinging even tighter to, to their wall garden or whatever um, because mm-hmm. they they don't know whether it's going to be a good story or a bad story, and there's enormous risk to them. And so, in particular, CoStar um, seems very committed to, to keeping things, um, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, behind that wall garden. So, yeah. Mike, you were going to say This something. conversation leads us to, um, we have plenty of clients, and I'm sure you do too, where there, there are channels that they're completely ignoring now because they just can't track them as well as they would like. You know, and I mean, the one, the big one that isn't as much of a focus now is Craigslist, but a lot of the industry just stopped doing Craigslist when they turned off the tracking capabilities. And it's not like at the time, it's not like Craigslist went away that users stopped using it. It's just that we couldn't track it anymore. And so companies like just stopped cold Turkey. Um, you know, we have plenty of clients today that mm. they, they should be seeing or they are seeing success on platforms like Facebook marketplace, but it doesn't get as much attention because it's a little harder to track and it's a little harder to like 
keep a handle on what's what's happening there. Um, there, depending on where you go in this country, um, Reddit sub, like subreddits are gold mines, and Nextdoor is kind of like this too sometimes, uh, where they are gold mines for people who are considering a move and looking for help. But it's harder to track. Mm-hmm. It's harder to scale. There, you know, n- nobody has Reddit as a source in their, you know, marketing channel list. <laughs> and so it's not a focus, but we're leaving, we're leaving out channels that could potentially, you know, deserve more attention because we're so focused on this, this attribution conversation. Well, Reed's uh, marketing mix is similar to my steel trap brain. It's one thing in, one thing out. So until Reed's willing to give up the sign spinner, he's not going to get on board with adding well, Reddit or that, next and, door. And, so, and I, honestly, you know, like go back to your, to your point earlier, David, it's like I'm, I'm already at 97% occupancy anyways. What do I, why do I need to try harder? So I think that there is an element of yeah. um, we don't necessarily need it right now. And, and that's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's that whole, like, um, they say, like, invest in a, when a downturn happens, right? Like, Jim Collins talks about that. Like, you want your war chest so when the downturn you can invest in R&D versus, like, survival. And uh, right now, all those folks that are investing here are going to be ready to weather the storm when it does hit and operational efficiency becomes key. But to your point mike i guess like that could be 10 years out or so so in some ways it lets you be choosier with the dollars you're investing right now versus uh if you only had five years till the next let's say downturn or whatever but um either way those folks that are in it for the long haul are going to be much better positioned let's say a decade from now uh, from now than than now uh whatever than uh, a year from now and some of it may result in like one percent less whatever profit this year so that you can be 1% better next year. And then you're just doing that 20 mile March to always being 1% better than, than the year before. Yeah. So anyways, well, I know we don't have a ton more time, Mike, what, what else do you want to get off your chest or, you know, get to today? A lot out of me. You make it sound like this is event okay. session. <laughs> I take it that we're therapeutic. Um, what else? You know, I think, um, I think the more that our clients start real, you know, the more that they can really start to like, I I think we are hearing a lot more about resident experience and prospect experience. I think the more that we can really look at um, how do I not lean on a vendor to provide every single touch point of that experience, the more that our customers can take control of their own customer data, uh, you know, more that our clients can take control of their customers' data, um, the better off they're going to be in the long run. And that, you know, that, that might, that might actually take business away from me in the short term, but ultimately I think that it's going to make the, the renter experience better. Uh, and it's going to make our customers, um, more profitable and much more knowledgeable about what their customers actually want. Cool. Well, yeah, it's great. It's great perspective, you know, uh, as I said, it, it, again, uh, offline, I guess my only exposure to you was in a buffet line where I think we were both really hungry and you had just given us a, a, a really great speech. So, um, 
all that's to say is uh, I'm really glad that we had you on and um, get to hear your thought leadership. Like I said, all the wisdom you threw down just seemed like a great guy and uh, you know, really love your company from, from what I've gotten to know about it and a little bit through David. So uh, just really appreciate building a relationship. I want to thank you guys because, you know, I think that there are plenty of folks that look us, look at us as competitors. You know, we've had the opportunity to work together and, you know, and compliment, services on on a couple of clients now but um you know the fact that you're bringing on other agencies and and people who you know might be seen as a competitor says a lot about who you are and what you're trying to put together and what you're trying to offer to your audience so i appreciate that yeah i will say though if we end up turning like six or seven clients after this podcast it may be the last time we have you on Well, Mike, thank you, as Reed was saying. And for those um, that are, uh, well, want to get in touch with Mike, Mike, you do a lot of different speaking engagements. As I mentioned, you do do a lot of different virtual panels. You're always, I feel like, educating. I was going to ask you when you're going to become a professor because I feel like you could come through and start teaching courses, the hospitality course or whatever that doesn't exist for apartments right now. Um, so anyways, you're, you're always a wealth uh, and willing to share, but what's the best way for uh, folks to get in touch with you? The best way is uh, through our website, 30lines.com. Um, you can also reach us at, at rentpress.io. Um, I'm most active on LinkedIn. Um, so LinkedIn there, I'm just Mike Whaling. Um, so you can find me there. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty active and, and uh, try and share things there as well. Uh, I come from a, a background. My, my mom and dad are both educators, so... I think that I, you know, probably pick some of that up from them, but, you know, I, 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 we've really seen that educating people on what could be and where they could go has been the best way for us to, to grow our business. Um, and, you know, plenty of people are willing to help, reach out to us and, and ask for help along the way. So happy to keep educating um, LinkedIn and our website, 30lines.com are the best way to best places to reach me. Well, and we'll be seeing you in just a couple of days. So I don't know if we gave him a chance to plug what he'll be talking about in NAA. No, but this will hit after that. So oh, catch well. him next year when he talks again at NAA. Yeah, stay tuned for the recap. <laughs> Buy the, uh, <laughs> Forgot about the Buy lag. NAA's My bad. Rewind and, uh, and, and get the sessions that way. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Use promo code. Whaling. Work that out. Uh, there you go. <laughs> All right, Thank Mike. Thanks Appreciate for being it. on, man.